0: predictions are dangerous we absolutely need more inventory the fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation that cash has dried up wow is my first thought bruce if both parties don't win it doesn't happen the real look trending news G'day. today's wednesday january 31st i'm bruce hardy and i'm chase williams and this is the news you need to know well, Chase, in an amended complaint filed on Friday, home sellers Danielle and Jesse Kay, who sold a house in Baden, Pennsylvania in December of 2021, with the help of an agent from Realty One Group, Gold Standard, were added as a plaintiff to another commission lawsuit. Now, the Kays joined John and Nancy Moratis in the suit that was originally filed in early December of 2023, and that was in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Pennsylvania. Now, formerly named plaintiffs, Springway Center, which the suit was named after, and Nancy Werheim, have been removed from the suit. I think it's so fascinating that these attorneys do this, right? So they're obviously looking for somebody who's going to stay in the game with them. These are all about the attorneys. As far as the defendants go, this is the interesting piece, I think. Real estate brokerages, River Point Realty, Bovard Anderson, Priority Realty, Rubinoff Realty Services and found it, PA, were added in the amended complaint. The other defendants in the lawsuit were West Penn MLS, a local broker-owned MLS that is not affiliated with NAR, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, the preferred realty, Howard Hanna, Next Home PPM Realty, Next Home Dynamic, Realty One Group Gold Standard and Realty One Group Platinum and Realty One Group Horizon. Yeah, we had the Sitzer Burnett. Named in that were NAR and some big national brands. Within 30 minutes of that suit being the verdict coming down, Michael Ketchmark, who is the plaintiff's attorney in the Sitzer Burnett case, immediately filed another case and basically named all the other nationals. I think what our listeners need to pay attention to here is that nobody is immune from this money grab. Right, These attorneys are going after everybody. A lot of these are small mom and pop brokerages. right? They're not national brands. So what are your thoughts about that? I think you're right, Bruce. I think it does illustrate that no
1: one's immune. I think that if you kind of watch the trickle-down effect is the way I think of it, maybe it's a domino effect, but you're going to have these really big name attorneys go after these really big companies, right? There's more money there is the thought process, right? But You're going to have, you know, some local attorney who hasn't made a name for themselves just yet or hasn't gone as big as some of these other guys say, Hey, well, I can copycat this lawsuit and go after some local businesses that. There's also some money to be had. Maybe the amount's not the same, but I can create a name for myself. And oh, by the way, I can kind of follow suit and copy what is happening here because it is like a domino at this point in time, Bruce. And I don't say that. And I don't think we share this story to worry anyone or create undue kind of fear around what could possibly happen. I think it's more for awareness. And mm-hmm. for people to be in the know of what's happening in the industry and how it very well could affect them, whether it does or not, is always yet to be seen. You know, we're basically reporting on one of these uh, every week at this point, and we couldn't even report on all of them because there's more than we can report on. So this thing is far from over in terms of, you know, who all is going to be named in, in a very similar suit.
0: Well, and, you know, they're all relying on the precedent, right, of the verdict in the of Burnett case. And yet what we know is... That's not a done deal because NAR, Keller Williams, uh, Berkshire Hathaway have all appealed, right? And it's going to go through the appeals process. The thing I think is really fascinating, Chase, is that the attorneys obviously don't know a lot about the real estate industry because you know they're going after these real estate brokerages, and what we know is that these brokerages are asset light. I mean, if you think about it, what is a brokerage own? Well, it owns some used furniture, some used technology that may or may not be out of date. And oh, by the way, whatever cash they have in the bank. Yep. So it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, if they can get blood from a turnip, so to speak. I also find it really fascinating that the plaintiffs are demanding a jury trial as well as damages and injunctive relief. Again, it's these attorneys, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. The story shouldn't say the plaintiffs are demanding. It should say the plaintiffs' attorneys are demanding. <laughs> exactly. If I had to guess, right? They're just, you know, leading these plaintiffs by a ring in the nose, if I were to guess as well. And, and that's what's fascinating to me in, in conversation with my attorney. As a matter of fact, one of the theories was that, you know, maybe they're hoping for some sort of claim out of an insurance claim, right? Because these are generally asset-light Companies, as a brokerage, you would be asset light because you don't hold the inventory. Independent contractors drive your revenue. So outside of computers and furniture, <laughs>
0: you, Not you, lot don't, there. you don't
1: hold assets, right, generally speaking. Now, there are some that do. They own the commercial building they're in. Maybe they're keeping a large cash reserve on hand, etc. But it'll be interesting to see. Like I love that analogy that you use, getting blood out of a turnip. But there's a long way to go on this, Bruce. There's more lawsuits to come, no doubt. And the one that they're using for press, and as you mentioned, is still far, far, far from decided.
0: Exactly. And I think we're up to 18 that I can remember right now. And it's like every day there's a new one. So get in line. Yeah. NAR has been battling the lawsuits on multiple fronts, right? But there was some good news for NAR this week. NAR was dismissed from a pocket listing ban lawsuit. Two days after, the PLS.com and three of the nation's largest multiple listing services notified the court that they had reached a settlement in their ongoing legal battle. The listing site filed a motion to dismiss the only remaining defendant, the National Association of Realtors, without prejudice. Now, the filing came after a court status hearing last Friday, during which the judge, John W. Holcomb, of U.S. District Court in L.A., decided to place the suit in inactive status, and that's due to the settlement agreements reached with Bright MLS, California Regional MLS, and the Midwest real estate data last Wednesday. Just to give our listeners some context here, this suit was originally filed back in May of 2020, and the lawsuit takes aim at NAR's ban on pocket listings. So pls.com is a listing portal. You know, they wanted the ability for agents to be able to list pocket listings on there. Now, the plaintiff claimed that the ban takes away agents' marketing choices, and they allege that the requirement for listing brokers to submit a listing to their MLS within one business day of marketing a property to the public violates the Federal Sherman Antitrust Act. Now, in addition, the suit argued that if there was competition for the MLSs, it would result in cascading lower costs, starting with the fees MLSs charge agents. The original lawsuit was dismissed in 2021, but the PLS.com, which by the way stands for Property Listing Service.com, appealed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And get this, it caught the eye of the Department of Justice, which relaunched its probe into NAR in July of 2021. Now, the PLS.com was founded in 2017 by uh, one of these celebrity realtors, Mauricio Umansky. David Barnes, James Harris, and Christopher Dyson. In 2021, the site which showcases listings nationwide rebranded to the NLS.com. Now, last Tuesday, Umansky, along with Compass Luxury agent Jason Haber, launched an agent trade group alternative to NAR, the American Real Estate Association. Now, in their announcement, Umansky and Haber noted that the NLS.com would serve as the listing platform for the new trade group. So, Chase, what's going through your mind when you hear me share that?
1: Well, you know, Bruce, there's always those out there that desire for whatever number of reasons to disrupt the status quo, right? And that's always been the case, and it likely always will be the case. So that's what goes through my mind is that's what's happening here. It's nice for NAR to get a a small win under their belt, considering the battles that they're entwined in at the moment. But, you know, there's this idea that more competition is always going to be better for the consumer. Conceptually, I understand that, but that's not always the case. And here's what I mean by that. Not because, you know, I I would ever be anti-competition, but sometimes this new competition comes with unintended consequences, if you will right and so even this idea around pocket listings it's like okay well we think that's restricting the choice of the realtor on how to market their listings and although that might be true there's a reason for that and the reason is is that if there's not one place where everyone can go to find out what's available then we run the risk of not getting that information to the consumer and kind of going backwards in terms of the fluidity and and the efficiency of the market that we operate in right So there's always an argument to be said for, hey, more competition's always better. Uh, More of the right competition is likely better for the consumer. We have to think through those things with a little more discerning thought process than just more is always better,
0: right? And again, right, if we're truly thinking about the consumer, forcing the consumer to go to multiple websites to see all of the inventory, how does that help? Right. Yeah, I'm not sure. But again, you know, you look at the MLS and NA. We ended the year at 1.554 million realtors. I would argue that each and every one of us are competitors. It's a very competitive environment, right? I mean, you just look at brokerages. They're not all carved out the same, right? Economic models are different. Value propositions are different. And that's the same for all of the agents in the system. So I think what we're seeing here is somebody who sees an opportunity while NAR is down to kick them and to try and create an advantageous position for themselves. You know, this idea that one or two people are going to now lead or create an alternative trade group is interesting to me, right? I mean, we have governance with NAR, and as members, we get a say in how that company is run. And now we've got a couple of people who say, hey, we can do this better than NAR can. But I agree with you, you know, all disruption is not great disruption. Sometimes it's just disruptive.
1: (laughs) Many times it's just disruptive.
0: Well, good news, Chase. Sales of new single-family homes surprised in December. In fact, it conceded consensus expectations of 649,000. New home sales reached a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 664,000. And that's according to data published on Thursday, by the US Census Bureau and the Department of Housing and Urban Development, or as we fondly know as HUD. Now, new home sales ended the year on a high note thanks largely to falling interest rates and a decline in existing home sales. And while moderating interest rates are a promising sign for new home sales in the year ahead, long-term issues such as a shortage of buildable lots, a lack of skilled labor and excessive regulations will continue to pose challenges for builders. So what are your thoughts about this uh, better-than-expected performance by new home sales? Surprised?
1: I don't know that I'm surprised, Bruce, given the fact that, you know, there is low, low, low inventory in existing homes. We would anticipate that, you know, new homes are going to get gobbled up at the same or better rate than normal, right? Because they become a larger portion of the overall inventory. I think, as we've reported on this podcast before, builders tend to be a little bit more nimble when it comes to making changes in order to get their inventory sold than even the home sellers, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's the business they're in. It's not the home that they live in. It's the product that they need to move off the shelf. They have carrying costs well beyond that of, uh, of the individual seller in a mortgage, right? So when pricing needs to be adjusted and the market changes, they're not in a position to hold their inventory. They really need to move it. And they did that. We saw that. Well, you saw this average price come down of new construction sales, which is music to a lot of people's ears, considering the affordability challenges that we've been having, right? And even though you mentioned some of those ongoing challenges, quote unquote, for builders, those are always going to be challenges. Bruce, none of those ever go away. Here's the good news. The builder confidence also improved in January to 44, right? And that's just the number that they use to kind of measure how confident they see the future. So despite those never-ending challenges, their confidence level has actually gone up in what that looks like moving forward. And that's another good sign for the industry and the inventory that we've been kind of up against.
0: Well, as you said, Chase, the median sales price decreased 3% in December from November, and that's down to a median of $413,200. By the way, that's down nearly 14% compared to a year ago. However, prices for new homes remain significantly higher than compared with the pre-pandemic new home prices. Now on the surface, you say, oh my gosh, the builders are cutting their prices. And actually when you drill into the data, what you realize, the reason that median prices come down is because in December, 47% of all homes sold, new homes were priced below 400,000. Now compare that with the previous year, where only 33% of new homes sold were priced below 400000 So the good news here is that we're seeing builders now building some lower-priced inventory, which actually is a really good thing for our market.
1: Yeah, just to compare that average, Bruce, a 413 of new home sales, the average that we ended 2023 for existing homes was 382000 so the average is still higher, but it's a little closer. And like you said, a higher percentage under 400,000. Because one of the the big challenges that we still have, even given this good news, I would call it, is the entry point, right? Those first-time home buyers. And we've seen that be a challenge both in what's available in the resale market and even what's available for new construction. It's good news all the way around as far as I'm concerned. Anything that shows that we're making progress in terms of you know, what's selling, the confidence of building more of what's selling, and then ultimately building some of those homes that are going to be in that lower price bracket. I think that's good news for the market in general.
0: Well, and it is good news that they're building more homes. The challenge, of course, is, as we know, as a country, we need a million new homes a year to house our population. 669,000, albeit good, still not going to solve our inventory problem. So we're going to be dealing with that. That's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode where we'll interview Dan Holt with Halloween's Greater Springfield in Springfield, Missouri. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Apple, Google, or Spotify, or really any major streaming platform, to subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review thanks again for listening to the real look